1 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 8. When you have it, say so. It says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil but re- or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, we love you. We honor you this day, God. We thank you because your grace truly is sufficient. And we acknowledge our desperate need for you in our lives. God, we need you more than anything else. And I pray that even as we hear you speak to us today, God, that our hearts would be attuned to your voice. And that we would not solely be hearers of your word, but doers of it. That we would live in accordance to your will for us as your children bringing you glory and honor as you alone are worthy. I pray, Lord God, that we would be obedient to you, submitted to your will, no matter what we face. For you are worthy of all praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so this week, we are continuing on in 1 Peter And in this particular portion of scripture, Peter kind of returns to the heart of the book of 1 Peter and reminding us of the suffering and the difficulty that the church, the churches that he is writing to are enduring. They're going through some hardship and some difficulty. And the first thing that he says after he talks, he talks about submission in marriage. He talks about submission in the workplace. He talks about submission to government. And he acknowledges that all of these things need to be done in order for the gospel to be preserved, in order for the gospel to be preached, in order for the gospel to be manifested in a glorious way. It is important for us that we do walk in this submission unto all, in all of these areas so that way we don't hinder the reflection of Christ that is supposed to be manifested in all of these different areas no matter what we're doing in our lives. And then he tells the brothers in the church in verse 8, he says, Finally, or to sum it all up, this is what I will say to you. And he tells us, he says, All of you be of one mind. And I will pause there for a moment. The title of the message this morning is One Mind, Christ is Lord. One mind, Christ is Lord. That is the one mindset that you and I must all possess at all times if we are going to be able to see God's will and his purposes manifested in the earth. That is the mindset that needs to be maintained no matter what goes on, no matter what happens. 
If there is one practical tactic, the reason why this is so important, because if there is one practical tactic that the enemy has successfully used against the body of Christ for generations is that of division. For generations, he has been able to bring people to not have one mind. And it starts just like this, glorious, wonderful times of worship, good congregation. We all love each other. As Pastor Robert says, we clean things up. We, you know, feed everybody, make everyone feel welcome. And then suddenly we read our Bibles and we look at something and we see it from two different places. And suddenly we are no longer of one mind, but we are of a divided mind. And we have a choice to either allow those things to govern and guide and dictate and really deter us from being unified or we can come together, reason together, and let God be lifted up and glorified in our midst. God's will is that we be of one mind. And so what happens is well-meaning, God-fearing, Christ-loving, and spirit-filled people have given ground to the enemy for generations, allowing secondary issues to become primary and ultimately hindering the effectiveness and unity within the church. Hence, tons of denominations and churches all striving to extend the kingdom of God, but unwilling to truly unify for the sake of the gospel. I say this often. As you drove here today, you drove by at least 10 churches. Hello. Depending on how far you came, you may, you may have drove by 50 churches to get here. In this city alone, and I know this because I have to send out emails, there are like 36 listings for churches in Oviedo. Y'all know Oviedo is not a real big place. Hello. We don't need 36 churches for sure, but the fact of the matter is that we have gotten away from a long time ago, and, and I say this to be sincere. The reason why I point out well-meaning, God-fearing, Christ-loving, and spirit-filled people is because a lot of times we look at people who disagree with us as being bad. We look at people who have different opinions than we have as though there is something wrong with them, as though there is something sinful in them. And so that becomes an issue for us. Us as the leaders, we are, we're, we're, we're talking about that as we're, as we're developing our community group ministries and things like that. We're talking about how important it is to let someone else have a different opinion as long as they're not going against the fundamental truths of our Bible. Amen? This is important for us. And here is the reason why this becomes so important. Because when division is allowed to remain and be prevalent, what happens is the gospel is hindered because our, tradi our traditions trump where the gospel should triumph. We become more concerned with upholding our traditions. I was raised like this. This is the way we did it in church. This is the way it's supposed to be. Really? Really? And God calls us to unity. He calls us to oneness. He calls us to be one in Christ of one mind. Let me say this, and I, and I know that I've, I've, I've written this before, and I've said this before. Unity does not mean uniformity, but cooperation in the midst of diversity. Let me say it again. Unity does not mean uniformity, meaning that Christianity is not a bunch of cookie-cut people. Everybody is just exactly the same. No, Jesus wants his character to be met manifested through your way of being through your way of thinking the point is this is that everything needs to be a reflection of Jesus and there are some things that we should say exactly the same like we are saved by grace we should all have that same terminology glory to God 
We all as Christians should sound the same on those things that there is no other way to salvation except through Jesus. That stuff should be the exact same way. But the way that I, you know, proclaim or declare something may not be the same way. I mean, Pastor Robert and I, we love Jesus with all of our hearts. And when we get up, we teach, we preach, we are different. God likes that. Because we can get together and we can compliment each other. Not everybody who's going to get up is going to speak the way that he speaks or I speak. And, you're, and you may not see every single thing the exact way. But can we look at the Bible? Can we center and focus on Jesus? That is what unity is based on. And we lose focus on secondary issues. And, I mean, it can be secondary issues like styles of worship. Hello, somebody. You know, some people, listen, piano and all of that stuff, that's the devil. Hello. And so I cannot be in a church that does that because that is just, oh, oh, you know, music that got a little rhythm, you know, you, you sway into that, oh, you in the flesh. I don't care that you're singing. My desire is to please him. No, nope, your desire is to please your flesh. That, 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 that's what it is, Right. And so the tradition is that, that that becomes the mindset. It's not about what we're saying. It's not about the words. I had a, I had a phone call. Someone called me and said, so, Bishop, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, someone was talking to me, and, and they I'll give you the specifics of the, of the phone call. Um, they said, you know, someone was telling me that you can't worship God through salsa. Said so because you know salsa, you're not thinking about the the words. You're thinking about the beat and moving. And so I'm just trying to the person is saying. So I'm just trying to figure out. You know, is it like totally wrong? You know, to I can understand their point a little bit. But you know, is dancing like totally wrong? And I'm and I'm like, listen, listen, listen. The Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. Is that not what the scriptures teach? The scriptures teach to the pure, all things are pure. The issue is we pervert everything. So we go dance side to side, and then we want to flip up her skirt so you can see all, the, yeah, right? Uh-huh. Spin around, baby. Yeah, right. That's, that, that's, that's perverted. You, you can enjoy each other, right? Now, the other thing is the environment where you're dancing and stuff. Those things become questionable. Those things are where the issues come into play. And so I told the person, you know, I left them a message. They didn't pick up. And I, you know, I just returned them a favor. I said, look, you don't have to call me back. I said, but dancing is not demonic at all. You know, there's a time for dancing, and you should do that and enjoy those type of things. You know, I, I, was, I was not of this mindset when I got married. And my wife, every time I talk about dancing in a wedding, she gets offended. She's like, I can't believe you didn't dance with me at my wedding. And I was like, babe, I was bound by some legalism. I'm sorry. So we're going to renew our vows, and we're going to get down, glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. we like our 20-year, glory to God. we got a few more years left. But anyway, ultimately, the fact is we, 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 we allow things to, to divide us. We allow things to discourage us. I mean, lighting. I've had people email me about lights. They can't stand that you dim the lights in worship. Really? They just have it. I mean, people have issues. I want you to understand that people allow things to divide them from the overall purpose of the church, which is what? To make disciples, to preach the gospel, to bring people up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to teach them to love Jesus and abandon everything else. That is our job as preachers and ministers of the gospel. And the apostle Peter is communicating to the church, and he's saying, listen, you need to be of one mind. And that one mindset, that unity needs to be that Christ is Lord. 
that Jesus is Lord, that he deserves glory, that he deserves honor, that every other man, every other woman, every other situation pales in comparison to his preeminence and who he is. That is what we are supposed to be singular-minded on, that we have one mindset, and that is that Jesus is Lord. The first thing, repeat this after me because we're talking about unity, to preserve unity. I was like crazy. I was like three echoes. I was like to preserve, to preserve, to preserve. Hold on. Let's do that in, in, in unison, right? In unison, glory to God, right? I know y'all are like trying to prove my point, right? Okay, hold up. Let's, let's, let's say that together. This is one of those things, okay? To preserve unity. There you go. Hallelujah. I must grow in love for the right things. I must grow in love for the right things. And so in the beginning of this, we'll read beginning in verse 8. He says here, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Let's pause. The first thing and the first category of things or, or people that we need to grow in love toward are those who are called brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are called brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we, 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 the pastors and I, we went to this, um, this, this one day, you know, gospel event and, um, the, the preacher that was preaching there, they, they had a question and answer time at the end of the service. And, you know, I, you, you guys have heard me preach that I, 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 don't, I don't believe in, you know, God, family, and, you know, work and church. I, I don't believe in all of that separation. I believe that Jesus is the center. Everything else lives out of that. And so they were in this conversation, and they asked a question about family and church. And as they were talking about this, you know, the way that they, they communicated was basically this. And this is what we, when we were in the car discussing this. It is this is that the family, your family, is the church. And your church is your family. Did you hear what I just said? Your family. See, here's what we want to do. We want to separate our family from the church. You can't do that. If you're saved, your family is the church. Hello, somebody. You, you, you want to separate the church? No. And I get it. I know somebody, somebody in here with, you know, just a religious mindset. Well, Bishop, you know, we got to have family time. That ain't what I'm saying, so get off of that. It's, not, it's not, 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 not even where I'm going. I got all that. I got all the priorities and have things in order. I got all that. But what I am saying is we cannot separate the two because your family is the church, right? Your, your family is the church, and your church is also your family. And if we are going to be able to walk and grow the way God wants us to, we have to grow in love for one another. How do we do that? Well, number one is that we decide that we are going to have one mind, that we are going to be unified. The second thing that he says is that we are supposed to have compassion one for the other. That is the word in the Greek is where we get the word sympathy from. It is where I feel your pain, your burden. Not only that, but when you rejoice, I rejoice. When you are going through hardship, I feel the weight of your burden. I have sympathy. Remember, this church that he's talking to, they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hardship. And, you know, have you ever, like, dealt with someone and, and, and you just, like, I mean, you, they just, they, they treat you in a certain way that you're like, man, that person is not even a Christian. Yeah, you ever had that person deal with you, glory to God? And, and, you know, you walk away from them and you're like, man, they call themselves a Christian. I know I saw them lifting their hands in church. Right? But they treat you in a way that is so horrible, right? Here's, here's what you got to get. You don't know 
what that person is experiencing before they dealt with you. You don't know what that person is going through before you encounter them. Therefore, don't jump to the place of judgment. Try to understand with compassion what they're going through. Try to, try to live that way. Be compassionate, man. Maybe they, they, they might be just going through something right now. They might be experiencing something that is a little bit overwhelming. He goes on to say that, that we are to be compassionate for one another, that we are to love as brother, as brothers, that we are supposed to. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I know me, and I told you all some crazy stories about me and my brothers. But, and I, I was really messed up when I was growing up. But here's the thing that I know is that there is no greater joy for me in, in, in the times than me getting together with my brothers. To being able to just hang out with them and to enjoy their company. And what I mean by that is that is, or, or what the scripture is saying, is you're supposed to love like that. You are supposed to love that way. You know what that means? Let me, let, let me help you. Let, let, me, let me elaborate a little bit. You can't love like brothers if you never have anyone over to your house to eat. See, see, it's, it, it's, it's going to take a minute to sink in, I know. Like, mm, Bishop, but man, I see him enough in church. No, you don't. You can't, you can't love his brothers if you are like doing a beeline to the door as soon as we say amen. You can't do that, especially if you don't hang outside. If you hang out outside, you're good to go because you want to get out there and be the first to hug them. That's wonderful. But for those of you that do the beeline to the door and then to your car, you cannot love. How can you love a person like a brother that you don't even know? Listen, we're not a big church by any means, but let me ask you this question. Look around. Just, you just look around real quick. Just look around, look around, look around. Now, I want you to think, how many people's names do you not know that you just looked at? Mm-hmm. You see them every week, glory to God. Are we loving like brothers? No. We're loving like, like I mean, I mean, we, we're loving like members to a club somewhere. We come in there, we see them, hey, what's up? You know, give a little nod, and we think that's good. Hold on a second. Is that how you treat your brothers? You walk by them, yo, what's up, man? You just keep going? Is that how you treat your, your blood brothers? Well, hey, you have blood brothers and blood sisters because of the blood of Christ. Now we're brothers. Therefore, we should have a relationship. Well, maybe you don't like to have people into your house. Can you go to lunch with someone? Y'all are quiet, boy. So we have to grow in our love, in our love toward those. I sent you guys an email. Very important. We need, to, we, we, we need to get excited about one another, new people that we see. We need to make sure that we are expressing our love and appreciation toward them. Scripture teaches this. The Bible says we're supposed to be of one mind. We're supposed to be compassionate. We are supposed to love like brothers. He goes on to say that we are supposed to be tenderhearted. That we ought to be compassionate towards other people. That when, when, when you look at this word compassionate, it means to have strong bowels. And, and I know that that's just like a bad picture, but listen to me now. It means that something right here inside of you is moved toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. That you care about them deeply. That there is something inside of you that moves you to be concerned about them. That when you don't see them, that you do not assume that it is the pastor's or the leader's responsibility to give so-and-so a call. But that you as a brother, you as a sister, call them up. And it's hard to do that when you don't know their name and you don't know their number. Therefore, get the name, get the number, so you don't be like walking around like, man, I haven't seen, you know, I don't know who it is, but I haven't seen that face. 
But it's where you really care, where they really matter to you. And your heart goes out to them. And, and you are with them in heart. That's what it means to have this, this, this compassion toward them or to be tender-hearted, to be sensitive to their situations that they may be going through. And the last word there is the word courteous, and it is better translated to be of a humble mind. To be of a humble mind. You're not going to be really courteous towards people if you don't have a right estimation of yourself. And you know where you get a real humble mind from? I, I, listen, I believe this 100%. You may disagree, but I don't think you can really be humble unless you know God. I don't think you can really walk in humility unless you know God. Because you will see people, if you don't know Jesus, you will see people who are better than you, who you may strive to be like, and in their presence you will be humble. But then you will also see people who you think are beneath you because they may not be as educated or as wealthy, or they may not be as smart, you know, street smart. They may not have the things you have, and therefore you will look down upon them. But when you come to Jesus, what you understand is that the person that you may consider to be the lowest of the low, you're as low as them. Hello. Because in, a, in, in, in the reality of your depravity, of your sinfulness, you understand that you, no matter what education you have, no matter what car you drive, no matter what side of the tracks you live on, no matter any of those things don't matter because before God, you're nothing. And so if you don't believe that, I hope you do now. Glory to God. Humility. To be courteous, to care about those. So the first thing we need to grow in is our love for one another. In the next verse, in verse 9, he says, Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So the first group of people that we must grow in love toward are those whom are called brothers and sisters in Christ. But then there is another group of people that you and I are called and commanded by Jesus to love, and those are our enemies. So the first group, all right, Bishop, I got you. I, I'm, I'm going to get a number. I'm going to get a name. We're going to go to lunch. We're going to do all that. I, you got that, right? Hallelujah. But now I'm going to tell you to care about those who hate you. Not to tolerate them, but to care about them in a deep, significant way. You see, there's one of three ways that we will deal with our enemies. We will return evil for good, which is demonic and satanic. We will do evil things to them while they're not doing anything bad toward us. Or the other way that we'll deal with them is we will return good for good, evil for evil. And that is a natural, humanistic way of being. But then there is another way that we are called to deal, and that is when we return good for their evil. That is divine. And that is the way that we are called to be Christ followers. That is the way that we are called to imitate Jesus, that when they speak evil of us, when they revile us, talk bad about us, treat us harshly and wrongly, that we will still demonstrate the love of Christ toward them and we won't decide to avoid walking in their direction or dealing with them because we realize we have been saved by grace and they, as much as we, need salvation. Some of our enemies are right in the church. It's sad to say, hello. It's not even a thing. I mean, you, you, you have issues with folks. Hello, glory to God. Issues with people. Call themselves Christian. You call yourself Christian. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, go to the website, hear the message. Pastor Aldo preached a great, great, great message on forgiveness and letting people free, you know, from that prison of unforgiveness. Hello, somebody. 
Y'all spending all that money keeping them up in there, keeping spending all that energy and all that time keeping them locked up, reminding yourself, talking to all that craziness, right? Some of them are just, they, you have, you have these enemies. Some of them you try to pursue peace, they don't want peace. What do you do? Love them. How do you deal with them? Don't return evil for evil. Listen, that is, that is probably like the greatest defense mechanism that I, have, that, I, that I use all the time. I said me all the time, me. Someone speaks bad about me, someone says something about me, immediately in my brain I start thinking about 10 things wrong with them. I'm like, well, they did this and they did that, and I go through all that stuff there. Is that right? Absolutely not. That's not the way that Jesus has called us to be, but that's natural. That's the natural inclination that is inside of all of us. And so we must grow in our love towards one another. The third thing that I'll say that we need to grow in our love towards in in verse 10, please read it with me. He says, for he who would love life and see good days. The third thing that we have to grow in love of is the life that God has given us to live. Doesn't mean that I love my life like an idol. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what these scriptures are saying. My wife read it. This, this right here comes directly out of it. We didn't even talk about it. She was just in the spirit. But Psalm 34 is where this is being quoted. And in Psalm 34, you saw there the depiction of life. There are troubles in life. There is fear in life. There is brokenheartedness in life. There are all kind of things that go on in our lives. And so it's not to say that we love every situation, but it is to say that we honor and we glorify God by saying I refuse to live on a satanic or demonic level I refuse to live in a natural level returning evil for evil or good for good but I decide that I want to live on a divine level I want to live on a level with Jesus the way that he's called me to and so I decide that I am going to do what he says this he who would love life if you want to if you want to love this life that you have been given to live that God has given you to live you must refrain your tongue from evil so when they speak speak evil you don't speak evil his lips from speaking lies so you don't be you're not deceitful you turn away from evil and you do what is good and you let him we begin to seek peace and pursue it that means that we don't just say i'm sorry but we do everything within our power to make sure that peace has been established between that person who offended us and and that we make sure that we go out of our way to pursue that now, it doesn't mean that you continue to beg a person over and over again because there are some people that are unwilling to forgive you. That's a different scenario. But you do everything in your power to reconcile. That person doesn't want to forgive you. That is between them and Jesus. But you don't lock them up. Hello. You don't remind them of their sin every time that you see them. You demonstrate the love of Jesus. You demonstrate the mercy of God because what happens is when we grow in these areas of love and we begin to love the way that God has called us to love, then we begin to see the fruit that he wants for us to see in our lives. It doesn't mean easy. It just means you got the joy of the Lord when you're going through hardship. It means that you trust God through the situation and circumstances you're dealing with. Each of us has been given this life to live, and we have been dealt a certain hand, and we can do a few things. We can either endure life as a burden, or we can try to escape life like running from its challenges, or we can choose to enjoy life by honoring Christ in all things and trusting him as being good and in control. A lot of us walk through life, we're just enduring it. We're depressed we're discouraged. Life is miserable. Many people are like that. Even in the church, some, some of the most unhappy people are right in the church. Hello. Others of us, we just want to escape life. 
We try to escape. We try to ignore everything that's going on. We try to act like stuff is just going to go away. Let me help you understand. It's not going to go away. And many times, and I will say most times, God doesn't want you to go around it. He wants you to go through it. Oh, we want to go around it. God, let, let, let's take a different route. No. Come on, God. This is tough. I know. And I got you through this. I'm going to walk with you through this. We can't ignore life. What we can do is we can enjoy. How do we do that? We can rejoice in Jesus. We can rejoice in the example that he has left for us. We can rejoice in the work that he did on the cross for us. We can rejoice that we have at this point, most of us, have not suffered to bloodshed like he did. And even if we have, you want to know what? We have one thing that is not in common with Jesus. None of us are innocent. We may, have not, we, we, we may have not done certain things to deserve certain treatments, but the ultimate reality is that Jesus never sinned against anyone. He never did anything wrong. He is the only one who in and of himself had a right to go on ahead and rise up against the, the, the false accusations, to rise up against the unrighteous beating that he received. He is the only one. None of us have that. Jesus did. And he chose not to. And so we can rejoice that he led the way for us. And not only that, but he walks with us through everything we go through. Amen? The second thing, say this with me, to preserve unity, I must submit to Jesus as Lord in all things. In verse 13, it says this. It says, and he and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So the second thing that we have to do is we need to, if, if we want to maintain this oneness of mind in pursuing Jesus, we must submit to him as Lord in all areas. In most cases, in the beginning of the scripture here, remember, he's encouraging a persecuted people. He's encouraging a people who are being mistreated because of their faith in Jesus, purely because they have decided to go against the religious, you know, um, grain of their day, because they have decided to go against all of the things that they may have been brought up in and the traditions of their fathers and mothers. And so because of that, they're being persecuted. As you read through the book of Acts, you see that whenever Paul and these people went into cities that had idolatry, they went in there and they preached the gospel and God began to turn cities upside down. And so they, because of the gospel and people not wanting to live sinful lives, what would happen is they would end up stopping the idolatry, therefore hurt the economy of some of those people who were promoting idolatry. And so they hated them. They didn't want them to come and preach the gospel and live the gospel because people who were living off of the sins of other people were being messed up in their finances. And so now these people are being persecuted. And he, and, and he starts off to encourage them. He said, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And the book of Proverbs says that when our ways please the Lord, he makes even our enemies to be at peace with us. When our ways are pleasing to the Lord, that doesn't mean every single enemy. Hello, somebody. But he will make our enemies to be at peace with us. 
He will deal with us when our ways and deal with them when our ways are pleasing unto him. But he goes on and he says, if you follow what's good, who's going to harm you? Who is going to hurt you? Follow what is good. Do what is right. Live the way you're supposed to live. In verse 14 he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. That word blessed is the same word as happy. If you suffer for righteousness sake, you are happy. You are blessed. There is something that comes from within you when you are doing right. See, initially, here's what we do. We're doing right. Everything is going well. And, and, and we, we're doing the right thing. And then what happens is people start messing with us. And we're like, nah, man, that's messed up. I'm not doing anything wrong. Until you get the perspective of Scripture. And when you get the perspective of Scripture and you understand that you doing right and you suffering for it, it brings a blessing upon you. He goes on to say, he said, because you were called to this, right? Or earlier on, he said, you were called to this to inherit a blessing. He, God wants us in this life to experience the fullness that he has, real life, not a life that is based in or founded in or finds value in all of these other things, but a life that finds value in Jesus and him alone. That is the life that he wants us to experience. And when we look at the scriptures and we see how God tells us to deal with it, it's against, it, it's counterintuitive. It's, we say, man, I don't want to live like that. I, I want to defend myself. He says, don't. He says, bring me glory and honor. Make me Lord in your life. Understand this. He says to them, he, he gives them this, he quotes a scripture from the book of Isaiah. And this is, this is important for us to realize why he would choose this particular scripture from the book of Isaiah. I believe it's like chapter 8 or something like that. And when he's quoting this, the, the, the setting is this. The king of Judah, King Ahaz, he is, he is you know, this, the kingdom, you know, Israel and Judah, they're separated. So he's a king over Judah. And what happens is the king of Israel and this other king, they want him to make amend, you know, agree with them because the king of Assyria, another king, is coming to destroy them. And so they're like, listen, this guy's got a big kingdom. If we get together and we're in, you know, we're in relationship and in agreement, we'll be able to defeat him. And so we'll stand firm. And so the king of Ahaz, he said, nope, I'm not going to participate in that. I don't want to be part of that, you know, union. And, and I don't, I, I'm not going to be on your guy's side. And so they decided to flip the script on him. They said, okay, you don't want to fight with us. Then we're going to come and fight against you. We're going to take your people captive. And what we're going to do, we're going to make you fight with us. That's what they're saying, right? So King Ahaz, he gets smart, and he says, okay, these two kings are afraid of this one king. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send a smoke signal because he couldn't call on a cell phone. Hello. (laughs) And I'm going to get in touch with King Ahaz, the king of Assyria, and I'm going to make, you know, amends with him, and I'm going to come in agreement with him. And when he does that, God rebukes him, and he says, listen, do not trust in the other king. Trust in me. Don't put your faith in his ability to deliver. Put your faith in my ability to deliver. And so what Peter is doing is he's saying, listen, don't compromise your righteousness. Don't compromise your way of living in order to appease the people around you so that way they will stop speaking bad about you or that they will stop treating you wrong. But instead, trust that I am Lord. Make me Lord of your life. Don't respond to their evil with evil or their reviling with reviling but respond with joy, respond with love, respond with peace. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't do like the king of Judah did. Trust in my ability to deliver mine. He said in the book of, in the book of Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hello, somebody. He didn't say some. He didn't say few. He said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him. 
of them all. But the Lord, not of some, listen, hear what I'm saying. He didn't say he delivers them of some. He delivers them from them all. His deliverance may not look like we want it to look, but it is deliverance nonetheless. How we respond to situation, especially persecution or false accusation, really reflect who or what is Lord in our lives. When we have things that are in our hearts that take precedence over Jesus, when we are treated wrong, when we are done wrong, when people harass us in an ungodly manner, when we are dealt the wrong hand that we feel we shouldn't be dealt, we immediately respond based on that. But when Jesus is Lord, how do we respond? We respond rejoicing and knowing that we have been entrusted with something so we can bring him glory and honor. Amen? Here's the beauty of this. He goes on to say this, and this is the most important thing. In verse 15, he says, but sanctify the Lord God, and a better, um, a better terminology there would be, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So what does he say here? He says, if you will respond to ungodly treatment in a humble way, if you will respond to harassment that is not right, if you will respond to the way that they treat you in a manner that brings glory and honor to God, you know, what's gonna, you know, you know what that is going to provoke? Questions. How is it that you can be going through this, be mistreated this way? How is it that you can be going through hardship in your life like this, and yet you still have that smile on your face? How can, you be go How can you be experiencing such heartache? And when that door begins to open, it's God Almighty who burst it open. You know what we have to do? Be ready with an answer. We have to be ready with an answer. But here's the thing you got to realize is that if you're responding in an ungodly way, if you're responding in a natural way, you know what you do? You are locking that door of the gospel in people's lives because they don't want that Jesus. When you are living a life that, that reflects the world more than it reflects Jesus, when you are living a life that reflects more the standards of the society and the culture in which you live than that of the scriptures, they already have that. They don't need it. They don't need to go to your church. They don't need to experience your God. But when your life reflects the character, the joy of the Lord that is your strength, and they see you going through that, doors begin to bust wide open. Hearts begin to soften, and then you have an opportunity to share the gospel. The third thing, repeat this after me. To preserve unity, I must guard my conscience. The third thing that, we, that he says here in verse 16, he says, having a good conscience. He says, in giving an answer to those who ask you about the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, with humility, not fear of them, but fear of the Lord and trembling. When you do that, you will have or preserving a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, like there's something wrong. This person's got to be doing drugs or something. Hello. This person, there's got to be something wrong in this person's life that this person is able to do that. When they talk about you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, they may be ashamed. Who's going to put them to shame? Jesus. Who is going to speak on your behalf? Jesus. And he says in verse 17, for it is better, and we all don't like this verse, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer. We don't want to hear that. 
I want to come to Jesus, and I want everything to be easy. I'm suffering enough without him. I don't need to come to him. You're right. But can I tell you a, a much more sobering reality? It'd be better for you to suffer in this life and rejoice for eternity than to suffer for all of this life and suffer in eternity. See, because there is a reality. God says, I'm not, I may not deliver you from all of your suffering, but here's what I will do is I will release joy in your life that you won't have doing it on your own. Because remember I talked about the person who tries to escape, well, what do you do? You try to escape in a, in a bottle of alcohol and some kind of drug. You may try to escape in sex. You may try to escape in all of these different areas trying to fill this void because of this suffering. Jesus says, if you come to me, you may endure. You will endure some type of suffering. You will endure some type of hardship. But you will know a peace that you will never know apart from me. And at the end of it all, he says that the glory that is to be revealed is not to be compared to the present sufferings. That's what the book of Romans chapter 8 says. The glory that is to be revealed. See, we're not living, if, if you're living for the here and the now, you've missed it. You have missed it. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Here's the point. Understand this. It is better that you suffer for doing good than that you suffer for doing evil. Because if it is the will of God that you suffer for doing evil, you know what that means? That means that he wants you to go to hell. Hello. Y'all didn't see that, did you? That's what it means. It is better for me to suffer for doing good, and that is in God's will, than for him to say, oh, you're going to suffer because you're, you're doing wrong. So ultimately, where is he sending me? He's sending me to hell. But he makes it clear that he wills that none perish. He makes it clear that all men would be saved. He makes it clear that Jesus died so that anyone who would call upon him could be saved. Is that not what the scriptures teach? And he wants us to walk. But here's the issue. The issue is our conscience. Our heart and what God has done is he has equipped us with a conscience to reprove error or approve righteousness. This conscience shows us whether we know Jesus or not. Pastor Robert says it every week. There's two kind of people in the building, the ones who know Jesus and the ones who do not. There's a bottom line. There is no in-between. You don't almost know him. Hello. When you know him or when you don't know him, he's equipped you with this thing called a conscience. And your conscience communicates to you that's wrong. That's how come without Jesus you know killing somebody is wrong. Hello. That's how come without Jesus you know that rape, murder, all of those things, stealing, lying, you know that those things are wrong because God has put this conscience inside of you. And you also know without knowing Jesus when someone is hurting or something is going wrong, guess what? You should do something to help them. There's something inside of us. It is called a conscience that God has put there. In dealing with unbelievers and in, 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 in our dealing with believers or unbelievers, our conscience must remain clear. It is important that we keep our conscience clear. We want to ignore our conscience many times. Our conscience tells us, go and confess your sin to that person. Repent before that person. Ask that person for forgiveness. Conscience, Holy Spirit, still small voice, they're working together, communicating. We want to ignore those things. Conscience says you were wrong in this particular area. And then what we begin to do is we begin to ignore our conscience. And here's what the scripture speaks of. You can write these scriptures down. The book of Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, it speaks about our conscience being defiled. That was a scripture that I was referring earlier where it says to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled, then everything is defiled because their conscience has become defiled. 
So the scripture warns us about three ways that our conscience will be negatively, negatively affected. And we don't want our conscience to be like this. And so the first one that I give you is, for, is Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. It is called the defiled conscience. It is, it, and what that word defiled, it means polluted or tainted. And usually the way that your conscience becomes defiled, it is by you justifying your wrong behaviors. It is by you. You don't, you, you, you don't, we're going to talk about the next thing that happens to your conscience. But what happens is you have this way of being and, and you justify yourself. There's one way, y'all haven't read the book, some of you, but it's called being in the box, right? Instead of you following what you know is right, you justify yourself and do whatever you want. What you do is you say, well, they deserve that. Or you know what? They shouldn't have been that way. That's the only reason I was that way. Or I only act like this because you do this. That is how you defile your conscience. You allow your mind, you allow your heart to become defiled. And so you can't judge rightly because you are constantly finding justifications for your actions. The second place that the scripture speaks about the conscience here that I'll give you is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. And in there, it talks about our conscience being seared as with a hot iron. And so one of them is a conscience that has been defiled. One of them is our conscience that, you know, we treat people wrongly. In this context, you would treat a person who is treating you wrongly the wrong way, and you justify it saying, well, they deserve that. No, they need salvation. You're right, and you deserve the same thing that they deserve, yet God was merciful to you, and you are the Christian. Hello, somebody. Well, they're Christian too. That's another way that we defile our conscience. Well, they're Christian. They have the same Bible. And you are still responsible before God not to live your life based on their standard of living, their behavior, but you are supposed to live your life based on the standards of Christ and try to rise to them daily in every situation, no matter what everybody else does. So then he says that your conscience, that their conscience has become seared. And so, obviously, when you sear something, you sear it, and, 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 and it literally means to harden beyond feeling. And so, in one place, it's defiled. It's still active. It still works, but you find your ways around it, so you defile it. The other one, you no longer feel bad about things that you do wrong. You're no longer sensitive to those things you used to do. You become hardened toward people. You become hardened toward situations. And so the scripture says we cannot allow that to happen. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 24, it says that because sin will abound, the love of many will become cold, right? So what happens to their hearts is their hearts, because sin against them, because people sin against you, because people do wrong, and you harbor that offense, what happens? Your heart becomes hard. No longer do you have compassion towards others. No longer do you walk with that sensitivity. And the third thing that actually happens to us before we come to Jesus is found in the book of Hebrews. And it can happen after if we continue to ignore and allow our conscience to become defiled and allow it to become seared. And it is to have an evil conscience. And that is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that our evil conscience has been cleansed. And so what I mean by an evil conscience, let me, let, me, let, let me give you a couple of examples of an evil conscience. One of them is two people commit a crime. One of them gets caught and says, I'm not going to be a snitch. Their conscience is telling them, don't snitch. But them committing the crime doesn't bother them. 
You see the wickedness in that? The person is guilty of committing a crime, and I don't want to snitch. Am I saying snitch? Listen, you need to do what's right. That's all I'm telling you. Don't be breaking the law. Glory to God. That's the first step. Hallelujah. That's called a conscience that is evil. How about another one? You have a person who <laughs> does heinous sins against their spouse, committing all kind of adultery all over the place. And you? Glory to God. Having sex outside of marriage? They're horrible, but I'm okay. That's an evil conscience. That requires repentance. Three things that Christians need to be aware of. You cannot have a seared conscience. You cannot have an evil conscience. And you cannot have a conscience that is defiled. It is our responsibility to walk according to the character and the will of God. Amen? That is what we're called to do. And here's the, here's the reason why this is so important. Because the enemy, you know what he wants us to do? He strives to make us defile our conscience. He strives to make us not listen. Y'all have seen it on TV. You know, they depict that stuff. It's like the little angel and the little devil. You know that right there? The little angel, that's your conscience, glory to God. The little devil, he don't look like that. But anyway, trying to convince you, go against what you know is right. Go against what you know is, don't do that. And then when you do it, you know what he does? Plagues you with condemnation. Once he gets you to ignore your conscience, then you become condemned. But it is awesome to know that Jesus died to deliver us from all condemnation. It is awesome to know that Jesus came to liberate us so that way we would have a conscience that is clear and that we would be able to be those witnesses to the gospel. I'm closing with this. Hardship is what they're going through. And hardship is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses to discourage our faith. When we go through difficulty, when we go through trial, when we go through situations, it is, it, it is that is one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses in order to do what? To try to remove Jesus as being Lord in those situations. It is our job. It is our job to guard against that. It is our job not to allow the enemy to have his way. Amen? So I stand on our feet and bow your heads, please. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So if you're in this place, your heads are bowed, your hearts should be humbled before God right now. And I ask you not to look around. I ask you to really meditate and consider where you are before the Lord today. Maybe you're a Christian and you are going through some hardship and you realize, man, there are just some areas in my life that I am allowing my flesh to get the best of me. There are some areas where I'm returning evil for evil, where I'm, I'm, I'm reviling, you know, where I'm being reviled. I'm gossiping when I've been gossiped about. I'm living trying to defend myself. If that's you in this place, then obviously God is speaking to you and he wants you to repent and turn to him. Make him Lord in that area of your life. And he can be glorified and that opportunities for the gospel will be opened up. 
You may also be in this place today and you are not walking with Jesus, but you heard him calling you today. You heard him dealing with sin in your life and you realize that there's only hope in him and in him alone. And if that is you, this is what I encourage you to do. As I pray, call upon Jesus. As I pray, you call upon him. Humble your heart before him. Put your faith in him today. Turn from your sin. Make a commitment to walk with him from this day forward. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now I humble myself before you on behalf of my brothers and sisters. God, you see every heart that is in this place. And you know where we are before you and what we are going through. You know the circumstances and situations, Heavenly Father, that we are going through as individuals. And God, I just pray for strength in my brothers and my sisters' life that may, that may be being mistreated, that may be experiencing ungodly things against them, Lord God. Lord, that you would strengthen their faith, that you would strengthen their resolve, that they would stand firm seeking and serving you. God, and I pray today also for those that are in this place that may not know you, Heavenly Father. God, may know about you, may have heard about you, Lord God, but are not walking with you. Heavenly Father, I pray with them and for them today, God. I pray that you would save them from their sin, my Lord. I pray that you would turn their hearts unto you. I pray that whatever it is, Lord God, that is keeping them from walking with you fully and submitting to you in all areas, God, I pray that today that you would liberate them, my God. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength Give them the peace to walk with you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. Give them new life. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. He's worthy.